Vulnerability. That doesn't mean you got to walk around the office crying or, you know, upset every day or asking every single person, you know, exactly what's going on in their life and whatnot. But you have to be visible. And when things go wrong, you have to show uh, some level of compassion, some level of emotion. You cannot be a robot. You can be, but I think that's what starts closing off the trust and the communication aspect of it from, you know, the lower frontline workers looking up. You know, I don't want to talk to Welcome to the Jess Larson Show, where I interview innovators and leaders. Today on the show, I've got retired Brigadier General David Hicks. If you missed part one, please go back and listen to his experience flying A-10 warthogs and flying the A-29 and the nonprofit work he's been doing, especially in the last eight months, help people out of Afghanistan who are being threatened by the Taliban, especially his pilots that, that he helped during his service, and uh, the story of getting over 100 people out. Dave, I think where I want to start for part two here is something you mentioned that I think you said your last job in the Air Force was being the head of strategy for the whole Air Force, or can you explain what the actual title was? Yeah, so it's a director of strategy concepts and war gaming for the air force so it was at you know the pentagon so uh, headquarters air force so i was my job was obviously i wasn't the big boss or anything like that but uh, especially as only a one star but my job was to work and integrate the national defense strategy and any type of joint force strategies with the Air Force strategy on where we wanted to go and what we wanted to do. So with weapons procurement, with aircraft procurement, with strategies of how we might use them and, and how we would use them in the future. And so they wanted me to focus more on that 10 to 20 year time span. So that's where we focused most of our wargaming efforts and, and those kind of things were we're further out. So I spent a lot of time looking at our adversaries, trying to assess, predict where we thought they were going to be at 10 to 20 years, how they might try to fight, how they might try to employ their weapons or their systems, and then develop, you know, both a plat or a set of systems that could counter that, but then also an effective strategy that we could use with those systems and be flexible also at the same time. So it was, as Pentagon jobs go, it was pretty, it was refreshing and enjoyable because I got to spend a lot of time thinking outside of the box as opposed to figuring out how to balance the checkbook, which so many folks unfortunately have to do that up in the Pentagon. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the last episode, we talked about how you've adapted that in the civilian world and, and specifically uh, with your nonprofit here, how you guys have really been working to think through not just how to get the people out of Afghanistan, but, but what you're going to do to help them once they get here. And, and I think that's just such a great thing that you know, these people who worked so hard to help our country and, and to help us over there that in some ways you're, you're returning the favor of in their hour of need, helping them. I'm interested in this skill set, this idea of, of trying to plan things out that are 10 years in the future. You know, there's a lot of people listening today that are entrepreneurs and CEOs and investment fund managers. And, you know, 10 years out can feel pretty unknowable sometimes. I'm interested in any of the processes of as you thought about what you're up against, because again, the CEOs today are, they're going to have competition 10 years from now. Can you walk us through what that was like? Yes. It's, uh, and now it's usually how I would start any of our discussions or strategy discussions, especially when we were trying to look at that 10 year plus horizon is I would always ask guys and gals, I'd go, Hey, 10 years ago, 
what did we have? And, you know, first thing I'd always hold up is iPhone. Did we have this or what version was it? Or what kind of phone did you have? You know, 20 years ago, was there such a thing as a cell phone? Did anybody think that you'd be able to, you know, and look where we're at now. So where do you think we'll be in 10 years or 20 years? And we always tried to base it off of what the current environment looks like. So, you know, you have to kind of put a stake in the ground of, of where we're at, which, you know, usually is present day is probably the best place to say or start that. Then what are future trends, be it future trends in computing, AI, various levels of technology, future trends in space, demographic trends, political trends, geopolitical trends. Where do we see the world going, both in a political sense, in a technological sense, in an economic sense, in a natural resources sense? And, you know, once you get to, and I always said, I said, hey, once we get to 10 years, we can probably pretty decently maybe guesstimate five years out where we might be with budgets and where we might be in a geopolitical spectrum. But, you know, 10 years, we're starting to spitball a little bit, but we've got to put our best assessment of what we know now and where we think things are going and now build a plan of assets, build a plan for a strategy of how we would use those assets potentially. And then the biggest thing is be willing to go back and revisit it. And you know, what happens and it happens in the military, you don't know what happens in the civilian world too, is, you know, a company will build a strategy and maybe build a great strategy based upon off of all the things I just mentioned, but they never go back and revisit it, you know, a year or two years or five years down the road to take a look at, all right, what's changed in the environment? Now let's re-baseline it. What's changed? Where are we at now uh, versus where we were when we developed this? And are the trends different or are the trends pretty close to what we had? So then that should hopefully re give you an opportunity yeah. to reevaluate your end state and make sure you're going in the right direction. Well, you think back a number of years ago, I mean, how many folks would have expected the North Koreans and the Iranians and folks to build such capable cyber warfare groups? Right. You know what I mean? Like we're outspending them, we're outspending them on planes and tanks and uh, they've got the ability to reverse our sewage and make everybody sick or something. Right. Well, uh, and that's yeah. exactly it. I mean, the, that is a perfect example. And what we're seeing in Ukraine right now is another perfect example. You have a, you have an adversary. You have Russia that's still essentially fighting World War II tactics and using equipment that's not much newer than that in a lot of situations. And even with the newer equipment that they have, they're still using them in a, in a fashion that could have easily been, you could have easily seen on the battlefield in World War II. And you have Ukraine that's using anti-tank weapons, ambush guerrilla type tactics. Commercial drones commercial drones they're using they're doing a great job with the uh, info operations part of it where they are i mean i never dreamed that ukraine would beat russia in information operations and and how they're managing i won't say fake news because that's not the case but how they're managing the story that's being told out of ukraine compared to russia it just seems like russia's almost stagnant so it makes me wonder if russia ever evolved or changed their has even looked at their strategy over the last 20 or 30 years. I think they just assumed they were going to walk in and win it. 
Yeah. And you've got a country that's willing to adjust and adapt. And, you know, same thing applies in the business world. You know, we're going to be doing a little bit of a mini series with some folks who are really working on helping further innovation in the DOD. When you think about any of the wins, you know, this, the strategy work that you did, are there any of the wins that come to mind for you? You know, I felt I helped uh, with the writing the national defense strategy. I got there towards the back half of that being done when Secretary Mattis was there. And I really felt like that was a well thought out, well articulated document. You know, the problem with strategy is once you write it, it doesn't matter if it's business or military. Once you write it, you have to follow it or, you know, and, and make sure you've got a culture that's willing and, and going to follow it because everybody always says culture crushes strategy in an organization. I felt, I felt really good about that document and where we got with it. And then being able to use that document for some of our, some of our war gaming efforts. Now, how well the defense department and the services have followed that document in the last a couple of years, you probably could put that one up for debate a little bit. I would argue it's probably not as well as it should have been followed. Yeah. What was it about where you guys got to that you were happy about? How how the current environment was articulated and then also where we wanted to go with force structure, not just, you know, and this was across all the services. And so it, it spelled out, I thought it did a real nice job of spelling out the current environment and future trends. Like I was you know, talking about a bit ago and also what we needed to do to counter those trends or where we needed to go as a force. And a can you give us an example? I hate to go into too deep of examples on that sure. because it gets classified pretty quick, unfortunately. So, but you know, you can think it kind of goes to the stuff that you're just said talking about cyber capabilities, space capabilities, future weapon systems, you know, any commercial off the shelf technologies, commercial, commercial off the shelf technologies, you know, drone technologies, laser technologies. So you can, you can imagine with any of those things I just mentioned, it pretty rapidly gets into a classified, yeah, yeah. Pretty, but you know, talking about those and, and weaving them all in to make sure that they're addressed and they're considered and they've got the right weight of consideration because you can't just talk about tanks, airplanes, and ships in this day. And we're watching that play out in front of our eyes as Soviet tanks are getting blown up left and right by, you know, missiles, anti-tank missiles that cost a fraction as much of one person standing on the ground doing it. And same thing, you know, the, the sinking of the Russian ship a couple or last week, the Moskva, you know, what they did, they flew some drones out and had him on one side of the ship. And so all the air defenses for the, for the ship were looking up here. And meanwhile, they launched two Neptune missiles from the shore from the other direction and then came in and hit the ship. I mean, you've now just taken out their flagship for the Black Sea by using some largely off the shelf drones over here going, Hey, look at me and two missiles that are with 300 pound warheads that they developed hitting them from the other side. So it makes you wonder, is, okay, is our carrier fleet going to be super safe in a contested environment? If they can take a flagship out that easy for fighting an adversary that's got at least our capabilities, if not more, is that the way to go in the future? Tanks the way to go in the future? I don't know. You can make a pretty strong argument of what we're seeing. Maybe not. Yeah. When you think about, again, CEOs listening today, leaders listening today, thinking about how, back to this culture piece of. 
if the senior folks sit around and think about this, do you have any advice of helping the more junior folks or the more frontline folks in a, in a business or another organization help bring this mindset of we're all looking forward to the future together. We're all bringing our brains to work. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, and it's very, it's sometimes difficult to do in an organization, in a non-military organization, but, you know, we always had the concept of try to learn the job of the person above you and try to teach your job to the person below you. And if you do that, then you're always building talent and building trust from below. And then hopefully you're doing the same thing, you know, from above. And, you know, while we were doing the uh, Op Sacred Promise, I did another podcast last fall and I got asked the question, hey, what, why do you think you guys were successful, even though you're a complete ad hoc organization that came out of nowhere? Yeah. And I thought about it a little bit and I said, it really boils down to probably three things. And I said, most of us, there's a lot of us that don't even know each other, never met each other except through emails and, you know, talking on signal. And it boils down to having a clear focus of what your mission is or what your organization's goals and objectives are and everybody understanding it from the highest person up that is probably providing those to the lowest person that's just starting. With that, you also have to have trust. So I have to trust the people above me that are going to make the decisions and they're going to be making the right decisions for the best to hopefully have the best intentions of the organization in mind. And I'm going to hopefully have the same level of trust below. And then the last piece is communication. So if you, if you communicate what your intentions are, you communicate your objectives, you communicate where you're trying to take the organization. If you're at the top down and everybody understands it. And then if folks at the bottom communicate either issues, problems, or concerns up, it makes life a whole lot easier. Also, at the same time, communication builds trust. So I think it, you know, that if you can get those three fundamental components right, whether it's a military organization or a commercial organization, you're going to go a long ways towards probably putting the right culture in place to be successful. You know, at that point, it becomes execution. It obviously becomes having the right, what are the right objectives for your organization to be successful. but I think if you have those three basics, you can, you can take yourself a long ways towards, towards being successful. Yeah. Well, you think about how many of, you know, from a percentage, we've got a lot more folks on the front line. You know, we've got a lot more customer focus facing folks, you know, like just hierarchically organizations have less people in leadership than the other levels. Right. And yet how many times as leaders do we disincentivize people to think at work because we don't, we don't trust them enough and earn that trust back from them. We don't communicate enough and we don't invite them to communicate. Like there's so many good ideas that leaders don't get when we're the only ones with a good idea, right? Instead of being a little humble, listening first, inviting them to bring their brains to work instead of just their hands, right? Because, you know, you ignore your frontline people long enough. You, you, you treat the junior people like you don't want them to think at work and eventually they'll start to do it. Right. They'll, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll just do the minimum because we, we treat them like they're not a full person. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, part of that is it's, it's something I, I don't necessarily think I did the best job 
uh, in the world. I don't think I was necessarily the worst in the world at it either, but you have to be as a, as a senior leader in, a, in an organization, you have to show that you're, you're vulnerable. You can't act like you're invincible. Nothing bothers you. Nothing concerns you. You have to show vulnerability. That doesn't mean you got to walk around the office crying or, you know, upset every day or asking every single person, you know, exactly what's going on in their life or whatnot, but you have to be visible. And when things go wrong, you have to show uh, some level of compassion, some level of emotion. You cannot be a robot. You can be, but I think that's what starts closing off the trust and the communication aspect of it from, you know, the lower frontline workers looking up to go, well, I don't want to talk to this guy. He, he's, he walks around and I never see him first off. And then when I do see him, he looks like he's angry or she. And so guess what? That probably isn't going to do too much towards building trust. It's certainly not going to help on communication. So in the long run, you're not going to get the productivity and efficiency and effectiveness you would, you would otherwise, if you just act like a normal person. Yeah. You know, it's something I have to work on. I get so I get so like, I don't know, zeroed in on a goal, right? And I get so process oriented and I, you know, and I, I just can get a little hyper-focused and, you know, just walk past the people and because I'm on a mission, you know, right? Like one of my heroes, this guy, Terry Warner started the Arbinger Institute, wrote books like, Le the books out of that place come out like leadership and self-deception. His book, that's my favorite, is called Bonds That Make Us Free, but he, he taught it taught at Oxford and taught at universities here for 30 years, Yale PhD. He, he said that he thinks one of the highest compliments somebody could say is that that person is welcoming. I thought that was interesting. And here's a guy with PhDs. They teach the military. They teach the NFL. They teach Raytheon, the biggest companies in the world, Google, all these people. And he thinks the number one trait is being welcoming. And that really made me think, you know, about how far that goes. To be welcoming. I had never internalized it. It's something I'm still working on. Yeah, and it's, I mean, that's what you said. so true. We're all guilty of it. You know, either you got a deadline or you're focused. You got something, either a big meeting coming up or some, some big project and you're trying to get it to end game. And so, you know, it's easy to just get, and there is times I think you do have to be like that, you know, at all levels of an organization where you have to be laser focused to see things to, to a finish line. But you can't be that way every single day. You know, it's, there's times to, there's times to go hard and then there's times to, to be welcoming, you know, and you got to find that right mix because completely one direction or the other, that's probably not going to, probably not going to get you to be in as effective leader as you, as you might, uh, otherwise would be. Yeah. Well, maybe before we go, I really liked your, your success story that we, we kind of talked about at the end of part one. Can you share another one? Can you tell us about another individual that you guys have been able to help with on the nonprofit side? Yes. Yeah, so I'll give you, we'll talk a little bit about Safi. He's an A-29 pilot and uh, was a commander up at Maza Sharif, uh, northern part of Afghanistan. And so it was uh, August the 16th or 15th, I believe, when they were flushing aircraft and trying to get folk or trying to get aircraft and helicopters out and thinking that they would come back into Afghanistan. And uh, Safi was the last, and his co-pilot were the last two, or the last airplane to take off out of Maza Sharif. The Taliban were literally kind of overrunning the base. And uh, he got shot down. 
And so he got shot, circled the airplane back, crash landed it on the runway. And one of the Afghan special mission wing MI-17s, a helicopter that was headed out to uh, Uzbekistan, saw this happen. They circled back and uh, picked up Safi uh, and his co-pilot before the Taliban could get to him and uh, pulled him onto the airplane, got to Uzbekistan and Termez. Obviously, they got detained there. And I remember getting a message, uh, still got it saved on my computer, from Safi. And it's, he's in the hospital. He's got a broken, his co-pilot has a broken back, but he's giving me a, a mission report of what happened. And he's like, yeah, my back's a little sore. You know, come to find out, yeah, there's a reason his back was a little sore. Ultimately, we got them to, got them out of Uzbekistan in the middle of September and then processed through another location on the way to the United States. And now Safi is resettled in Houston. And is down there with a, a number of other Afghan Air Force and some of the other special forces folks that are down in the Houston area. And uh, we're hoping, we're hoping here sometime in the next few months, his back's better. He's, you know, he's healed up from that. So everything's good. And then hopefully we'll have him flying again here sometime in the next few months. So the stories. It's like a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no limit to the stories that, that we had coming out of there that, you know, some are good, some are bad. Some are heart wrenching, but uh, there's no limit to the to the crazy stories that were going on there for that that two weeks to a month period from mid August to to early to mid September. Well, that's absolutely great work you're doing. You know, you think about, you know, I'm a pretty churchy guy. I figure we're all brothers and sisters in the end of this, right? Yeah. And uh, you think about ways that you guys are helping take care of some of our brothers and sisters, and I think it's incredibly admirable. I hope everybody goes to your website and uh, finds ways that they can volunteer. Or donate or something. Do you want to give us the website one more time? Yeah. So for us, it's a uh, op sacred promise, all one word dot work. And for the moral compass federation. So that's the 18 other or the 18 total NGOs that are working on this with other members of the military, Afghan military, special forces specific, and also special mission wing. And then also trying to work women and family members. That is uh, SOAA.org. Uh, backslash Afghanistan, or you can Google Moral Compass Federation and, and it'll bring it right up also. That way, you know, if you don't want to look at us, but you can, I would actually ask that you look at the other organizations also to see what they're doing, because they're doing some amazing stuff with resettlement, amazing stuff, trying to keep families alive inside of Afghanistan, move them around, uh, keep them safe. It's a, it's a daily challenge. Yeah. You know, I'm interested you know, flying over 200 combat missions, all this different experience. I'm interested. What do you think one of the best pieces of advice you ever received was? I think I still remember it today. And I'll, I, I don't know how many times I've told it to young airmen that are just getting in the Air Force, and, you know, looking for basic advice and, you know, basic ways to, to think about what their career is going to be or what they might want to do in their career. And I remember my very first squadron commander, Wiley Gray, when I was a young snot-nosed lieutenant, just starting to fly A-10s in Louisiana in 19, gosh, that was early 1992. And uh, Wiley, I'd gotten in trouble because I'd, I'd smarted off to a couple of folks in the squadron and, you know, standard lieutenant full of, full of energy, thinking that, the, you know, they're invincible to the world. So uh, he called me in on the carpet. And he said, trash man, he goes, never pass up the opportunity to shut up. And also 
no matter what you do and what you're told to do, bloom wherever you're planted. He goes, you're going to have jobs in life. And I was, I was griping about a job that I had to do. And he said, you're going to have jobs that no matter what, and no matter how great you think you are, there's going to be jobs you do in the Air Force that you're absolutely going to hate. But if you don't do them to the best of your ability, then you're probably not going to be recognized as a team player. Um, he goes, just bloom where you're planted. Sometimes you got to put your nose to the grindstone and end it up because the good jobs will come afterward. Lord will eventually come. And he was a hundred percent right. So I've always told my young airman, that's two pieces of advice is never pass up the opportunity to shut the up. If you, when you think you know everything, that probably means you don't know much of anything. And then the second piece is bloom where you're planted because you're always going to be put into positions where uh, at times where you aren't going to enjoy it, but make your best of it. You know, it's funny in entrepreneurship, most of us are so optimistic and we're, we're big dreamers. We're visionaries. We're thinking in the future. We're half the time. We're just living in the future. 90% we're living in the future that sometimes dealing with the current problem, there can be like some, oh, poor me thinking, or there can be some just like impatience with oh, I just wish I was at that next level and dwelling on it and overdwelling on it instead of like owning it and going like, it doesn't really matter what we wish. This is where we are now. Let's own this part as hard as possible because that's probably the step to get to the next part, right? Well, and that's that's exactly what got me in trouble in that. I was smarting off about somebody else going into a job that I thought, you know, I should be going into and I was doing one that's, that wasn't fun in the squadron. And, and so I made a couple of smart comments. And so his advice to me was, was spot on, you know, if you think, you know, everything and you're, you're, uh, spouting off, then that's probably when you might want to keep your mouth shut and keep your nose to the grindstone and the good stuff will come eventually. You'll, you'll be recognized for your efforts. And, and I, I couldn't agree with it more. I mean, there's so many times where I've done jobs that I just didn't like doing, but kept the nose to the grindstone and then got rewarded <laughs> for efforts because guess what? The commanders and the people above, you know, you're in a crappy job or in a job that's not, you know, the most popular one. So if you do it well and you don't complain about it, they're probably going to give you something on the back end that's, you know, worthy of yeah. your effort. You know, it makes me think of, I remember getting some advice. My mentor, who's now a partner at our real estate fund, Graystoke Investments, dot com he uh i remember being with him and get hearing the advice of like this the idea of like people get falsely accused of stuff people get you know people get disparaged all these things and i remember this thing getting said of like people of integrity expect to be believed and when they're not believed they let history prove them right yes. yeah but that takes time and patience, it takes time. right? It takes time and patience. That's exactly right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here's my last one. If you have, what advice do you have? You know, I'm thinking entrepreneurs, there can be a lot of stress. Maybe somebody's not trying to kill you, but it feels like there's competition or regulators or taxes trying to kill your business, <laughs> right? And there's, there can be a lot of stress and everybody's paycheck, you know, them feeding their families is all about your decisions, you know, buck stops at you kind of problems. So I'm interested in any thoughts you have of like, just advice for staying calm when things get crazy. Like, you know, people are shooting at your airplane. How do you stay calm and stay on mission? You know, I think 
it's, it's focus. You know, it kind of goes back to what we talked about a little bit earlier is, you know, especially in the leadership position. And in, I think it applies in the military or entrepreneurial world is staying focused on what the task at hand is and why you're doing this. And, you know, you're going to have distractions and all those things you just talked about are distractions and they'll get taken care of. Sometimes they're a pain in the butt to get them taken care of. But if you stay focused, if you stay focused on what the organization's ultimate goal is or what your reason is for why you started this organization or why you're trying to build it out, you'll probably have a much better chance of, of succeeding as opposed to getting caught up in all of the, in a lot of the distractions that are just a natural flow of having a business or same thing, natural flow of being in the military. Yeah. And have Can, to, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, finish your thought. You know, and yet, you know, you always, it, while you're focused, yeah, you're going to have to knock away some of the closest alligators to the boat. So, you know, your, your priorities may change a little bit every now and then, but you still should have the ultimate, you know, long-term focus that, that remains largely the same. Yeah. Do you have any examples of like, you're in a combat mission and stuff gets hairy, like what you told yourself? To stay focused, to to not give in to distraction or unhelpful emotions in the middle of a combat mission. Try to think, you know, because it it's just like you said earlier. You know, sometimes you get, you know, one of my bad traits is yes, sometimes I'd get a little too focused on things too. Is the one thing in the military that I think that we we do that maybe doesn't happen as much in the entrepreneurial world is. We have so much repetitive training and we do so much training preparation and preparation that a lot of things that are happening, you know, all around you kind of get tuned out. If you've, if you've done enough training and stayed, you know, just to go back to staying focused, I think it's that repetitive nature of the training to try to look at the different contingencies, to try to look at the different things that could go wrong that way when something does go wrong instead of freaking out and and going oh my you know what's what's happening i'm never going to figure this out or i'm never going to get out of this mission or never get through this successfully it's that repetitive training makes it about a thousand times easier to go okay yeah i've seen this or okay we've talked about that okay yeah we've we've, we've red teed this so here's what we'll do here's the checklist or here's here's what we had in the plan and and you take care of it and you move on. That's oh, such a oh. great point, though, about that. Yeah. No, you make such a good point about repetition and preparation. I think about, like, like entrepreneurs asking for money. Oh, I'm going to go meet with somebody and ask for a few million dollars or a few hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is, right? And it can be stressful and anxiety-producing and, like, your whole future works if you get the money and your whole future doesn't work if you don't get the money in there. You can put so much on it, or right? And, like, I can absolutely tell when I have my presentation down or whether, when I'm winging it, you know, like, you know, I think about how many times they haven't gone according to plan because I'm so confident. Like I, I have such good feelings about my plan that I haven't practiced my slides enough. I haven't gone through these things and it's so much easier for those meetings to get derailed. But like when I practiced a presentation in the mirror, in the bathroom, like so many times I don't have to look at the slides. I can just click the button. I know what slide's coming next, right? And I've like gone to my friends and done practice pitches and asked them to ask me the hard questions and 
and ask them to invent problems. And, and like, I've been through that multiple times of people trying to stump me before, before it's actually game time, you know, like those public speaking events go way better or those in-person pitches go way better. And I know it's, I know it's like, um, it's so apparent, like saying it here sounds dumb to even bring it up. Like, of course that's the case. And yet I think about how many times I'm like, oh, I'm a good public speaker. I've done so many speeches over the last 20 years. I can, you know, like, I'll just put together some slides and I'll go give them. And it's like, I've practiced it once or I haven't practiced it. I haven't even practiced the whole thing once. Cause I'm like, oh, I know what I'm doing. And you know, the mic doesn't work or they can't, the, the, like the present, the, the, something goes wrong with the presentation projector or whatever. And like, I'm flustered now. I can't remember what was it that was coming next. And I'm like, oh, this ought to be interesting. I wonder what I'm about to say next. Click the button. Oh, that's the slide. I wonder, you know, they're like, my speeches get a lot more ums and ahs in them. And, uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't deliver the way I would like. Right. It starts going south quick. And it is so true. I mean, I've done it myself where I've got, oh, okay. I, I, I can do this presentation. This isn't a big deal. And I'll, I'll make, I won't even make it a priority and then I'll get up to brief. And I did that a couple of times as wing commander and I got, came off the stage. I'm like, that was atrocious. All right. You can't, you, you need to at least go through the thing two or three or four times. So you know what the transitions are, know what's coming next, know what your key points are. It's, you know, you, the bigger the crowds you get, and like you said, you got, you know, when you have entrepreneurs looking for things that may be life or death when it comes to, to donations, a little bit of. A little bit of repetition, running a few reps with what you're going to talk about and what the high points you want to hit before going there to do it may make or break you literally. Yeah, I know you've done a lot of a lot with the uh, special operations community, and it just makes me think of what those guys say all the time about the like, you can have a a, a pint of sweat or a gallon of blood. Yeah, I know that's pretty dramatic, but it's it's valid. It's hundred you know, percent valid. You know, there's no sports team that I know of that walks out for the opening day of baseball season or NFL or hockey or whatever, they haven't done a few reps or a few hundred reps or a few thousand reps before they step on the game field. So yeah. business is no different. I mean, military is no different if you want to be successful. But I can rash, I can rationalize to myself. I'm too busy. I'm too busy to do all those repetitions. Do you know how much I've got to do? Yeah. But do you know how much time it wasted to have not done it right the first time? Right. And now do you either have to get another you know, like go find another investor instead of having been prepared for this one. Yeah. Right. And I've heard, I've heard this saying a hundred times, probably a thousand times over. And, you know, on the surface, it seems so obvious, but you do what you prioritize. And, um, so, you know, it's like people, well, well, I need to go to the gym or I need to exercise more. I need to eat better. Well, if you prioritize it, then if you make it a priority, then you'll start doing it. Once you start doing it, then it becomes uh, a normal repetition. It's the same thing of practicing briefs. It's the same. It doesn't matter what it is. You got to prioritize it first in, in your own. Head. Yeah. You know, that cliche, what gets measured gets done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that one, but I think my new favorite one is what gets scheduled gets done. Yeah. But like, if it's really a priority, why isn't it on my calendar? Cause I'm not going to magically come up with extra time on my calendar. Right. There's not suddenly some, somebody's not going to discover extra hours in the day tomorrow. I'm pretty sure the clock yeah. is going to stay at that same 24 hours a day. No kidding. Well, hey, thanks again for doing this. Thanks for the great work you're doing in the world. And, and thanks for making time to be on the show. 
Yeah. Thanks so much, Jess. Like I said, it was really an honor to be here, have a chance to, to speak and, and really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed the chance to, to chat with you. That's great. Thanks again.